Hey everyone, the podcast you're about to listen to was actually recorded before all of the others. My guest, Nicole Rucker, talked about uh, her restaurant, Fiona, and some of the stuff she was talking about she wasn't ready for everyone to hear yet. So that's why I had to hold it, and that's why you'll hear us talking about this being the very first podcast. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy. Did Winston gain weight since you oh my God. had him? <laughs> well... He looks bigger. Yeah. The answer to your question is yes, he did. Oh, my goodness. He definitely gained weight. Um, But he, you know, I'm trying to um, not give him treats every night before bed. That's sort of the thing. Yeah. How old is he, though? He is, well, he gained a year because he was four. Uh Uh-huh. And then I took him to the vet a year later, and they were like, oh, actually, I'm sorry, no, he was three. I took him a year later, and they were like, oh, we misaged him when you found him. Oh, my god! So I think he's now turning three. So, you know, he's now, like, you know, he's a kind of Benjamin Button of dogs. Oh, my God. He lost a year. He did. But we don't know. I mean, he's a rescue, so it's hard to say. Um, so how are you? I'm good. <laughs> do you do a lot of podcasts? Uh, I've done a fair amount. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These are nice microphones. They're cool. Yeah, these are called Blue Yetis. Uh-huh. And they were on sale on Amazon Prime Day. So Great. last year on Amazon Prime Day, I got an Instant Pot. And I just gave it away. Are you trying to get sponsored by Amazon right now? No, I'm not. No, I'm just like trying you to talk about... You just gave away your Instant Pot? I gave it away to Craig's cousin who's starting grad school. I I had such mixed feelings about the Instant Pot. I've never used one, but I don't think I would ever let one in my house. Oh, really? I just don't need it. Well, I mean, for me, it was sort of like all the things that I love about cooking are taken away by the Instant yeah. Pot. I mean, with the Instant Pot, you're sort of... You can't season as you go. You can't taste yeah. as you go. It's sort of like... A magical box where you just put a bunch of stuff in, put a lid on, push a button, and then everything's in there at the end. If you had young children, I'm sure you would feel differently. All my friends with kids are, like, obsessed with it. Or a job where I have to go away all day for eight hours and then come home. Is that an avocado tree outside? Um, I don't think so. I wish it was. Do you think it is? It looks like it. Oh. Yeah. No, it has something on it. What are those green balls? Those are walnuts. It's a walnut tree. In my backyard? Yeah, right there. Walnuts, for sure. Maybe pecans, though. It looks like walnuts. <laughs> See those green balls all over it? The one right here? Yeah. Oh. I, we'll have to go outside and like pick some whatever. You've never noticed those guys? No. Oh, I forgot to do something. Uh-oh, what? I want to just like have a backup. Um, oh, okay. So... Well, we're just talking about Instant Pot. Yeah. This is just in case. Okay. Um, we're doing great so far, though. What do you think? Yeah, we're doing great. Okay. Um, so you think I have a walnut tree in my backyard? I do. Yeah. It's That's exciting. Too. There's a lot of them in L.A. But I can see from here there's definitely some round. And this is the season where you would pick them up. I can see it. It's, something, it's some kind of nut. Like, Are you good at spotting... Yeah. Like fruit tree. I mean, I guess that all ties in. kind of a fruit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah or I'm nut trees, fruits, nuts. Yeah. We have a pecan tree in our backyard that we didn't know that we had until um, last year. Does it, so when, when a walnut or a pecan grows on a tree, mm-hmm. is it like an almond where it comes, like there's like the green almond and then. It's the, wrapped in fruit. It, yeah. It's wrapped inside something right now that's, that is like a green kind of like fibery exterior and it's really tannic and so you can take that and you can put it in alcohol and make 
Nochiolo. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've heard of Nochino, right? It's like sort of Nochino? Like, that's yeah. what, maybe that's what it is. I'm allergic like a, to walnuts. That's what's funny oh, about this. So, despite so I won't be eating it or trying it, but or making Nochino or whatever it's called, but I like to see them. They're so pretty. <laughs> um, so, Nicole, you're my first guest on this podcast. That's so exciting. And, um, You've been very, you've been a good sport because I've been like texting you all week as I'm trying to figure out. You haven't been texting me that much. I know. But okay. But but I did tell you that you should go to lunch. I did. And then at some point, you know, we're going to start your therapy session. Okay. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to treat this like real therapy. Oh God. And you know, when we begin the session, you'll know the session's begun when I ask you what you had for lunch. Okay. And then we'll, we'll explore that and that will be sort of like a therapy, you know, just like lunch therapy. And it can, it can go in any direction, okay. just like a normal therapy session. Um, and we'll see what we discover. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we get into that, I wanted to ask you how, I mean, you have this beautiful cookbook that just came out, Dappled. How's that been going? It's been really fun. And I've been enjoying it. There's a couple mistakes in the book that are giving me a little bit of anxiety, but other than that, it's great. I don't know how you write a book without at least one mistake, but I yeah. have mine are kind of big ish. Do you think they're big because like this you're a perfectionist and like I mean do you think like an average person would notice this yes, mistake? People have noticed. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to say what it is? Or is I it mean, too specific? I, I can. It's um in two recipes there's a sugar measurement that is inaccurate. It looks like a a one was erased from a one and a slash was basically erased from it at some point. Um, so now it says two cups of sugar. Instead of half a cup. Yeah. Which which recipe is strawberry galette Okay. Um, is that in the fruit part? Or? Yeah, it's in the fruit part, but it's for one pound of strawberries. So that would be quite a bit of sugar. It'd be like a jam almost. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of sugar for that. And then um, a similar thing happened, seems like it happened in the peach cobbler recipe, which a lot of people are making. It says one and a half cups of sugar, mm-hmm. but it should only say half a cup of sugar. Okay. And I don't really, I mean, here's the thing. I, this is my first book, and they sent me a... Uh, an email that said, here's your second pass. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize that second pass meant final pass. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought I had another. With a measurement that goes wrong like that. I mean, where, where in the chain do you think? It... I mean, it could have happened anywhere. It, I, it, who knows? It could have happened when I was transcribing it. Right. And we were more concerned with continuity mm-hmm. and, and then, because all of the recipes that were tested beforehand were uh, in a different document, and then they got brought over to the book document. So mm-hmm. it was probably my fault at some point. And then at a certain point, um, since they had already been tested and they worked, I transcribed them, and it happened probably during transcribing into right. the or transferring over to the book document because it has to be in a special format and. Right. You know, it's just, it's a weird process. It'll never happen again. That's for sure. I mean, as we go into your therapy, I feel like there's got to be like an element of that happening for somebody who makes such beautiful, per- I mean, because pastry chefs traditionally um, are very like mathematical and precise. Mm-hmm. And so I imagine like having the number be wrong would be very frustrating. 
It is frustrating, um, but I don't consider myself to be a pastry right. chef. I was about to say, as I said those words, I was it's like, okay. I, I mean, mean, yeah. What? Because I mean, I'm more of a baker. A baker. Yeah. What's the distinction? Um. Well, I mean, if you're thinking about a uh, hard line distinction, it would be that a pastry chef makes plated or fanciful desserts, mm-hmm. and I would say a baker probably goes more in to rustic territory, which I think I definitely I'm more in the rustic territory, yeah. but. You know, that being said, part of the thing that is frustrating is that I wish I could have just written in all of those things, season it to taste, but you can't do that anymore. You can't write those things anymore. Right. Because people don't know how to do that. Well, it's been funny because I've been blogging again a little bit. And one of the things I'm not doing anymore is like putting full recipes on my blog. And I'm just mm-hmm. trying to write in paragraph form. Like, here's what I did. Like, I threw some salt in. And it's so, I mean, mm-hmm. talk about like not going viral. I mean, like, these are the kind of posts that people are just like, why can't you just give mm-hmm. me a recipe? And it's just sort of the same thing. Like, people don't want to yeah. get into the psychology of cooking. They just want to know what specifically do I do as opposed to like the mental state that you're in when you're cooking. Right? Yeah, it's kind of uh, the same way that I feel like driving is now Mm -hmm. because uh how many times a week do you use your GPS Mm -hmm. like on your iPhone to get to some place that you've been before right right so like my husband uses ways a lot and it's like he knows how to get everywhere in LA he's lived here his whole life but he'll use ways to get to some place that we've been like 20 times because he wants to find the fastest way, right? That's Uh the idea. Oh, you find the fastest way. So, you know, most bakers have made a peach crisp before or a cobbler or seasoned uh, fruit for a strawberry shortcake. But for some reason, everyone's still looking for the like the map, the roadmap that says, you know, this is exactly how you do it. And it's not it can't ever be that accurate because fruit, as you know, changes from day to day yeah. on your counter, um, to season to season, city to city. I mean, like our peaches and our nectarines in California are usually more acidic than mm-hmm. the ones in the South. So that one and a half cups of sugar in the South would probably be excruciatingly sweet, but also the South has a sweeter palate than the West. Right. And so there's no accounting for that level of taste. I've had people yeah. knock me for my chocolate pie recipe being not sweet at all. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the sweetest things that I make. Well, I think what's so interesting about all that too, is that people are so afraid to trust their own taste. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. you know where you're going, you know yeah. how to get there. Why do you, you still want? use? Yeah. yeah. Why do you still use the GPS? You yeah. know, but that's fascinating. Yeah. But people also, most people, unless it's someone who's literally never baked before, mm-hmm. uh, I would say most people have a general idea that two cups of sugar for two pounds of fruit is a lot of sugar. Yeah, I think I, I think you don't need to sweat that mistake in the cookbook. Well, I'm very open about it, and I tell people about it constantly. Um, so I'm, I'm actually, I feel like I'm that, like, a, like a comedian, self-deprecating constantly. Oh, yeah. It's like the one thing you bring oh, up about your the cookbook. Way, There's a mistake. Yeah, that great, is funny. It's a great book, but I definitely <laughs> screwed it up. Well, speaking of your psychology, oh. I think the time has begun to begin oh, our uh, oh therapy God. session. Okay. So, Nicole, yes. what did you have for lunch today? Well, I had a very late breakfast, and okay. so I felt a little pressure um, to have lunch to eat again so uh, that I could eat something right before I got here. Um, we'll return to that in a second because I think that's interesting too that you felt the pressure. 
<laughs> okay. I already know what that's about. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll explore um, that too. But yeah, so what did you so do? So I would say lunch, breakfast and lunch kind of morphed into one. I wouldn't call it brunch, but it, it kind of is all in the same meal because I wasn't fully digested. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to go test some new menu items at Fiona and okay. taste some things. Um, and that's because they're changing the menu pretty drastically. Um, and also it's because Sean and I are no longer there. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. So here's your first podcast. I know. With breaking news. It is breaking news. Yeah. I, um, um might've heard a little bit I know. about I told, that. I told your friend about it. Yeah. But I didn't know if that was official or. Mm, it's definitely happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, the I had to. I'm basically stepping away so my partners can have a chance at making it profitable the way that they want to do it. It's a difference of, um, it's you know we open opening a restaurant's hard. Yeah. Um. So there's no there's really no hard feelings. I think that the menu that they want to do is going to be great. So and I'm still kind of in their mm-hmm. universe. So okay. I had to go taste some things just to make sure that they were kind of like up to my you know, liking. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were, they were great. They were wonderful. I had buttermilk pancakes with Berta Barat and maple <laughs> syrup. <laughs> so, okay, so you had pancakes. So this is actually kind of fascinating like, on pancakes. a psych- psychological level because <laughs> they weren't just pancakes. They no. were pancakes at the bakery. And I think for people who don't know the story, I mean, like, so a yeah. year ago, would you say? Almost a year ago. Um, in November of 2018, I opened a bakery with... Mm-hmm my business partners and with my good friend, Sean Pham, Mm -hmm. Sean Pham. Uh, and, uh, we decided to give it kind of like a Vietnamese American identity. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a lot of Vietnamese food on the menu. Um, but you know, this year has been really difficult and it didn't really take off that well and sales were slow. And so obviously you got to like do everything you can. So we started to change the menu more, and ultimately, it just became like kind of a creative difference. Like I felt like the best way for them to succeed was to be able to do whatever they wanted to do to save this business they put so much money into. Mm-hmm. And my portion of it was uh, sweat equity, really, and mm-hmm. like my identity, I guess, and in, in being like the face of mm-hmm. the place, which is not for nothing. You know, it's yeah. a lot. Um, so, you know, that's kind of like where we're at right now. But I'm happy about it, and it's great, and yeah. I really want that place to be so successful. So, you know, wow. I'll do anything I can. But to it help seems them. like it's got to there's got to be a lot of pain. Is that the right word? Or, or, or yeah, I mean, cause... well, I worked. I have a therapist. Yeah, not a not you therapist. <laughs> I thought I was your only therapist. Oh my, my god. god, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. um, you're definitely I'm... cheaper than my regular yeah, therapist. That's true. I'm a lunch therapist, well, so I just fixate you. on what you okay, have for lunch. Good, yeah, good. Yeah. good. Um, by the way, I'm sorry. I should just say I'm like fidgeting with all the no, audio stuff, okay. and Don't I hope it doesn't distract you because I'm just it's okay. Craig made me so neurotic before he left that I had like the gain up too high. But oh I think God. we're good. Everything okay. is good. You but, can edit stuff like that afterwards, anyways. No, no, we're we're a pure podcast. This is what, oh, yeah. whatever happens in this therapy session. Oh my God, is what happened? Okay, so you. So, so well, I want to walk back through some of this though because you went to lunch today mm-hmm. at Fiona. This mm-hmm. was your lunch. And the food that you were eating is the food that they're going to be serving there now that you are leaving? 
Um, yes, it's an it's like kind of like an interim stage where they are changing the menu, but not too much, so they don't rip the bandaid off too quickly. I guess. Um, and is there another chef who made these pancakes? Like it's in- our sous chef. This is something you know. Yeah, someone I know, someone that I worked with and that I care about. And so I'm there as like a consultant and a support person basically to just help us through the transition. Mm -hmm. Um, Because obviously I put a lot of myself into the menu and Sean did as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's what I'm doing. I'm being uh, more of a support person. And I had... To try his pancakes, mm-hmm. which were fantastic. And, and they were his recipe, the pancakes? Yeah, yeah. And how recipe. did that feel to be eating at Fiona, somebody else's recipe? Was that was that a weird psychological feeling? I mean, like, how many times have you had dinner with, like, your ex-boyfriends? Oh, interesting. So that's sort what it felt of like. like that. Yeah. It felt like you were at your ex's house. Yeah, sort of. Or maybe, like, how, like, maybe, like... Your ex-boyfriend's parents' house. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, so had you been back at Fiona's? Oh, yeah. Okay. I go there like twice a week. So you go there. Yeah. But, but you, you just use the term ex-boyfriend. So well, is that what it feels like to be there? It does. And it also, I'm very good at um, emotionally separating. Yeah. So I've already gone through that transition mm-hmm. and I'm emotionally separated from the place. I think that's fascinating. I think creative people, I mean, I go through this all the time because I'll write things and I'll get so excited about them and then I'll like try to put them out there in the world and whatever might happen, they might fall apart. And then you just sort of have to be like, well, I never liked that to begin with. You know, it's sort of like a, yeah. a mental switch yeah. that just sort of lets you get through it. Yeah. But Mine yeah. is like, uh, I have plenty of other ideas mm-hmm. and I'm still young and I think it's, it just gets better. I don't, I don't feel like there's anything, especially after having written a cookbook. Yeah. I a also, beautiful cookbook, thank by the you. Way. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm lacking in opportunity or potential. So it feels like, okay, maybe this door is halfway closed, but also like a lot of other doors are all the way open for me right now. So that Absolutely. feels good. Well, I mean, um, it's funny because I'm supposed to be your therapist, so I probably shouldn't like, be editorializing so much. Okay, my therapist definitely, get, my actual therapist definitely talks about herself a lot. Oh, okay. But I was just going to say, like, I'm such a fan of yours that I agree with what you're saying, that mm. wherever you go, people will follow. But I guess it, to That's me... That's a re- good thing a therapist does say, though. Oh, okay. Good. Well, um, <laughs> I, but I want to... It kind of raises the question for me because, like, I've seen you in lots of different roles. I've seen mm. you now... As a baker, I've seen because I before even Fiona opened, like I I'd, I'd had your pastries before in different places. Mm-hmm. I've seen you um, as a restaurateur, basically, or like I've seen you at the helm. I should probably say here that I had my 40th birthday party yeah. at Fiona, which was so wonderful and great. Yeah. But I've seen you in that role of like being in a restaurant, like dealing mm-hmm. with all the people, and then now I've seen you in the role of cookbook author, mm-hmm. and I've also seen you now as a podcast guest. Woo! Um, but which role, I mean, where, where are you happiest? Like where, what, in the going forward, which role is the one that you enjoy the most? I enjoy the, um, idea creation part. Mm-hmm. So I think I definitely enjoy doing a lot of things at once. I'm not, um, I'm not very good at just like doing one thing all the time. So mm-hmm. I like to have variety. So it feels right to me to do like, you know, do a podcast, do a book, Mm -hmm. you know, come up with another idea for a bakery or, you know, make new content in that way. So that part is nice. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, it's interesting because your answer, I thought you were going to say like, 
being in the kitchen or being, I love being in the kitchen. Yeah. yeah. But idea creation could also be you yeah. like walking in a park, right? I mean, it could be anything. Well, it could, but I think that like, um, I think people, I'm comfortable now with the fact that people look to me to, to ask for advice or, uh, ideas or, you know, whereas before that felt very private when I was young, Mm -hmm. like when I went to art school, it felt very private. Like I couldn't share that stuff. And now I'm just kind of like, Hey, guess what? This shit is free. Here you go. Or it's for the price of $40 or however much my book is on Amazon, you know, like it's not $40. It's cheaper than that. I'm just saying people should buy it. Yeah, Yeah, it is. I think it's on sale for $24. (laughs) There you go. Um, (laughs) But you know, like once you start putting that stuff out into the world, it's like, who cares? Not in a bad way. Who cares? Not mm-hmm. in like a nothing matters. Who cares? It's just kind of like that's how things in that that when you're able to give ideas or give away your creativity or sell it. I mean, I'm selling it. I sold it. I mm-hmm. made a book. Right. But, you know, I don't think that that's bad. And once you get over the initial hump of that, mm-hmm. then you're kind of just like, oh, yeah, well, I have more left. It's fine. But, okay, can you walk me through... I'm very curious, um, as somebody who just kind of makes basic foods, just uh-huh. sort of just, you know, um, I'll make like a chicken and I'll put like fennel seeds and like coriander seeds on it. Cause I read somewhere that that sounds good, but like yeah. for you, like you are coming up with things that are truly novel. I mean, your cookbook is filled with them, like ricotta biscuits. Mm-hmm. Um, and so is that just, can, can for our listeners, I mean, can you explain how the creativity happens for you or is it hard to put into words? I guess it, it depends on, it's very fleeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of it happens by accident, which is happy, mm-hmm. you know, um, the day that I made the ricotta biscuits, I intended to make something else and it didn't turn into that. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to have really defined like pockets of ricotta and mm-hmm. have it be sort of like more like a scone. And it turned into this really fluffy, delicious biscuit. And I was like, oh, well, that's not what I thought was going to happen, but that's good. Can right. I make it again? And a lot of stuff happens like that. I'm also like very uh, lazy and <laughs> not, right. not precise the first time around with anything. Okay. Yeah, especially when I cook. I fucking hate following recipes for savory food. I can't stand it. Actually, I feel like this might be a good moment to kind of really do the therapy thing and kind of like, you know, the special effect in a movie where we go back to your childhood. <laughs> we like Don't you want to hear about the rest of what I had? Oh, from Brian. Oh, yeah. So sorry. Oh my God. God, this is my first podcast. I again, like. I mean, I, there is more stuff. I think one of them. The so. Or if I'm a therapist, I should say, do you want me to hear about the rest <laughs> of what you have? Well, just for the sake of lunch therapy. So we yeah. started with buttermilk biscuits. It had burrata burrat and maple syrup on it. And I had Earl Wait, biscuits Grey or cake. pancakes? Oh, no, pancakes. Yeah, okay, buttermilk see, pancakes. That's a Freudian slip. And we're going to go back to that biscuits. later. Because um, biscuits were your thing and the yeah, pancakes are the new thing. They that's are. why the oh Freudian slip. Yeah. And then we had avocado toast. Who's we? Oh, I met my friend Charlie there. <clears throat> okay. Um, and I met my friend Charlie there because I felt better eating there with with someone else. Okay. Um, and I normally love to eat by myself. Love it. Me too. But I don't love to eat by myself there. 
anymore. Right. I came to Fiona by myself once. Do you remember that? You came there more than once by yourself, I believe. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's nice. There was like one rainy night that was Yeah, really it was fun. so cute. It was yeah. cute. Wait, so you had the, the pancakes? Butter, uh, buttermilk pancakes, and then we had avocado toast with curry leaves and Fresno chilies on top of it, which was very good. Is that a new recipe? It is, and we have never served avocado toast before. And in fact, Sean and I talked a lot of shit about avocado toast. Um, so how did it feel to to now be at this restaurant that was your baby where they're serving the thing that you didn't want to serve when you were at the helm? I can't say that avocado toast doesn't taste good. It tastes great, especially when it's seasoned well and on very good bread, and it was. Mm-hmm. So it was good. And I also can't pretend like I don't make that for myself at my house. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you just have to like give up your preconceived uh, ideas about what things should be. And it was good. So was that it for your lunch? Um, and we, uh, we, I ate some bacon. Okay. And that was it. And then on my way over here, because I felt pressure, it was about an hour later. Yeah. I ate a Fissel sandwich from proof with ham and cheese on it. I'm not, as a therapist, I shouldn't reveal my own lunch, but I had that exact same no, lunch. You didn't. <laughs> yeah, that's what I had too. Um, it's, it's a great it's a sandwich. perfect size sandwich, yeah. too. Yeah. But I feel like, I mean, talk about like a, a psychologically potent lunch. I feel like the lunch that you had at the bakery, I mean, this is so, it's so rich. Like, I feel like there's mm-hmm. so much to it. For, for example, when you mentioned the bacon, it made me wonder did they prepare the bacon in a style and method that you had? wanted them to pre- to prepare the bacon when you were in charge or well we didn't serve a side of bacon okay um at all so i mean they made it the way that i would have made it you know on a sheet tray in right. the oven which is the best way to make a lot of bacon and um it was cooked properly i mean the thing is like everybody there in in that kitchen are my people those are my people that we trained that we worked with side by side and they're excellent at their jobs mm-hmm. and we trained them to cook and bake like us mm-hmm. and they do it so they're great and they do a great job every time okay so of course the bacon's going to be good and the pancakes were great and the avocado toast was exactly what it should be delicious mm-hmm. and wholesome so you know not knocking it was there any part of you though that was like well if i did if i was doing this i would have done xyz um no everything was so good honestly <laughs> right. like I don't think I would have changed a thing. I would have, you know what I would have changed? The place would have been full of people because that's the only thing missing, truthfully. Right. The only thing missing from that place is that it's not packed to the gills with people. And somehow they have to figure out what key to turn to make that happen. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to figure it out as much as I tried. So, And it's kind of an incredible, strange alchemy that makes that happen. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. It is a lot like a, like a, like an emotional or a romantic relationship with a person, like, which is why it's sort of like, you know, that like ex-boyfriend who like, you still really, I love, I love that person, Mm -hmm. you know, and we just, it was not the right time. Mm -hmm. We couldn't make it work. But when we see each other, I still love you. Right. So that's why it's weird. Your childhood. Let's go there. Oh, my God. My childhood. Where where did you grow up? San Diego and San Francisco. Kind of half and half. And so, I I mean, I just have to ask, because I think this will all tie together eventually, but Mm -hmm. the food thing, the cooking, how did that begin for you? 
Um, my grandma was a really good cook. One of my grandmas was a really good cook. My other grandmother was not a great cook, um, but very encouraging, both mm-hmm. of them. Um, my parents were divorced. We don't have like a very strong um, cultural heritage to to look back on because we're kind of like a blended family, um, Native American, Spanish, and Irish. Wow. And neither of them were very strong uh rep- strongly represented in our households because it was like let's be american mm-hmm. basically um and we're pretty poor mm-hmm. so we cooked at home a lot and when we ate out it was probably like junk food mm-hmm. well it definitely was fast food a lot uh and i just learned how to cook because i had to because my mom worked and i was home and i also i was very interested Mm-hmm. From a young age. Very interesting. How old were you when you first really started cooking? Which Probably is... like eight or nine. And was it, at the very beginning, was it just sort of like cracking open a box of Kraft mac and cheese and adding water? Or from the very beginning, were you using like real butter and real flour and like making things? Um, well, we didn't really eat a lot of Kraft macaroni and cheese, like mm-hmm. box mac and cheese. My mom usually bought Stouffer's or like the generic brand of Stouffer's because it was better. So she cared a lot. She cares a lot about macaroni and cheese, just like I do. Mm -hmm. Um, But there wasn't a lot of baking. Mm -hmm. We did make Toll House cookies a lot. So that's a real recipe Mm -hmm. that you make from scratch. Um, But a lot of other stuff was kind of like savory food. There wasn't a lot of sweet stuff being made. I made a lot of Jello. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, were you like, I mean, was there like a glimmer of the future Nicole Rucker in your jellos? Like, were you adding no, fresh fruit no. or neon, like, swiggles? No, and, no, no, no. I mean, it was a long time ago. It was the 80s. Right. So, also, it wasn't really like a thing for someone to aspire to be a chef when you're a child. Sure. I, my moment was similar to yours. And again, I shouldn't make this about me, but it's a it's podcast. Okay. Yeah. Uh, was my mom once, like, I, I, I never cooked growing up. I secretly craved an easy bake oven. Mm. My mom wouldn't get it for me. Well, I shouldn't blame her because she'll probably listen to this. I just, maybe I wasn't brave enough to ask for it. <laughs> but in either case, she did buy me once this thing called Dolce Frutta, uh-huh. which was this chocolate you could put in the microwave and you could dip things into it and it would harden. So I would dip grapes into this melt- microwavable chocolate oh and make chocolate covered grapes. That's my, oh my rosebud God. moment. That's but back so to you, cute. this isn't about me. I'm curious just to tie it together a little bit. Are pancakes anything significant from your childhood? No. You never made pancakes? I mean, we did. Somebody made pancakes for me, People, but I wouldn't say pancakes were like a big deal. No. And I can't imagine avocado toast was a big part of your childhood either. No. And you know what? I was trying to think about that yesterday. Like, because I've always had avocados around me. We had an avocado tree in the backyard of every house that I've ever lived in. Mm-hmm. Except for the apartment complex I lived in in college. Okay. So I've always had access to avocados. Mm-hmm. I cannot remember what form they usually came in at the table. Maybe guacamole, but like never like whole chunks of avocado, especially not in the 90s. I don't remember that being like a thing. And not we didn't eat like tostadas or anything that had like slices of avocado on it. Did avocado toast become a thing because people started perceiving as avocados as healthy is that why they had like what's like omega-3 fatty God, acids I, you know i don't i don't know yeah i think it was 
popularized in Australia. Oh, really? But then people here say that they've been making it since they were a kid. It just wasn't a thing at my house. Mm-hmm. Or not even like on corn tortillas. You know what was a thing? Like frying a piece of bologna in a cast iron pan and then poking a hole in it and wrapping it up to let the air out. Oops, sorry. <laughs> to let the air out because when you put a flat piece of bologna and it gets hot, it makes a bubble okay. in the pan. It like balloons up. And you poke a hole in it so it flattens. Yeah. And then you wrap it in a corn tortilla and you make a bologna burrito. Wow, that sounds delicious. I probably ate that every day for like six or seven years. So I'm very curious um, in terms of like the bologna burrito of it all, going from that to mm-hmm. like working in restaurants and mm-hmm. serving food to like paying customers. I mean, what, what, how did, did, how do you think about the difference between the food you would make for yourself growing up and the food that you learned how to make later and the food you make for yourself now? I mean, was there, was there sort of like a, a formal education involved or was it always just something that came organically from yourself? Um, I think that things started to change when my dad married his third wife, okay. Verna. Um, she's from Barbados and, Initially, I was very skeptical of her because you're supposed to be skeptical of your stepmother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's classic. It's the fairy tale thing. 80s and 90s movies tell you you're yeah. supposed to hate them. Sure. Uh, and I went to college in San Francisco, which is a great food city. And in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was starting to become a very good food area mm-hmm. again. Um, and she wanted to take me places. I think she kind of saw that I was interested in food before I did. Um, and she always made dinner and and encouraged me to cook and had nice ingredients around. And she also wanted me to go to like restaurants. Like she, she was very like encouraging about that. And how did you feel about that when that was happening? I think that was fine because it was kind of like a sneaky way of her beginning to connect with me, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was really like now looking back on it, I think it was like really smart and really sweet. By the way, she passed away. Okay. Um, and so it meant a lot. Yeah. I don't want to cry. No, please. This is lunch therapy. I don't want to cry at lunch therapy. Um but that was a really sneaky way. Yeah. She connected with you through restaurants. And was that the passage for you from your childhood into your career? I mean, was that the connection connector or? I don't know. I mean, I think that like, I was also like such an entitled kid. Like most kids are so, it's a, you should have tissues. Yeah. That should be a, like a staple of um, lunch therapy. Are many other people going to cry though? I think. Yes. This is lunch therapy. I mean, honestly, I, mean, I feel like I've succeeded already. I mean, not to be insensitive, oh but God. this means this podcast is really well, working. I had my first cry already. Oh my God. Um, I'm going to talk about this in my therapy because I can't cry in therapy. So, <laughs> um, You should talk more about how you can't cry in therapy. Yeah, this isn't um, about me. This is about you. Oh, it so is. Yeah. Uh, I think that, I don't, you know, so I think that everybody was kind of scared. Like my, my dad and my stepmom and my mom maybe were concerned about what I was going to do because I was like, I never finished anything. I was like really... Um, like a bad artist who like didn't put any finishing touches on anything. Everything was kind of half-assed photography. Okay. Everything was really half-assed. I was in a band, you know, but I left it, you Mm -hmm. know, just like I never really did anything all the way. 
And so everyone's kind of like worried about like, what is she going to do? And I think that maybe my stepmother saw what I was going to do before I knew I was going to do it. Mm -hmm. So she encouraged that. And she sent me to France, like a big cliche. She sent me to France when I was a freshman in Mm. college during that summer. And that really changed a lot. I mean, pretty much after that, it was kind of like set in stone. So just so I give a clear picture, so there was your mother uh-huh. and like that side of the family, and then there was your father who had married his third wife, mm-hmm. who was um, the one who took you to restaurants. And mm-hmm. so did your mom have any influence on you in terms of the food of it all, or was your yeah. stepmom? So how, how would you describe the difference between your mom's influence on your food and your stepmom's influence on your food? Well, my mom's cuisine... And her family's cuisine was, like, family cooking food Mm -hmm. and was definitely sort of, like, Mexican-American cuisine. Okay. You know, which is a lot of stuff that's, like, cheap to make and, you know, meant for a big group and um, highly caloric and Mm -hmm. not a lot of raw vegetables, but very delicious stuff, you know. Um, It was also kind of, like, multicultural because, again, it was, like, Mexican-American and then also, like, American. Mm -hmm. And then there was this really weird occurrence of, like, Filipino food being incorporated Mm -hmm. because of the area we lived in San Diego. So she learned how to make adobo, and I learned how to make adobo when I was, like, nine. Gotcha. So you guys were cooking together, you and your mother? Yeah, I helped. Um, We all helped, but... That, I mean, that was my mom's food. It wasn't a lot of trying new things at all. When you say we all helped, who was in the house? Uh, my brother and my sister. Okay. So I, I retract that last statement because we did have a Japanese exchange student several times. Oh. So there was also like going to the Japanese market and eating I was eating just thinking of a John Hughes there. movie. I know that's terrible. What was <laughs> no. that? Like Pretty in Pink or, or Sixteen uh, Candles? It was, yeah. That yeah. was Long Duck Dong. That's horrible. Yeah, yeah which is say. not, he wasn't from Japan. I know. He was Chinese, right? Yeah. But also it was like a hugely racist character. Yeah, it's terrible. But I was just thinking of you in the 80s with a Japanese exchange in the house, yeah. similar to Molly Ringwald. You yeah. Know? And, then, and just in that level was all I was thinking I about. wish I was more, I really wanted to have red hair. So yeah. I really wanted to be Molly. Ringwald. So, okay, so your mom, I, I, but I'm, I'm glad I'm asking about this because it's painting a clear picture. It's like with your mom, I'm getting the like an image of just like being home in the kitchen, all the kids around, like food being made and like mm-hmm. that. And, and this to me ties back to much earlier in the conversation when I called you a pastry chef and you mm-hmm. said you think of yourself as more of a baker, mm-hmm. it's more rustic. Like I see that like your mom's influence probably maybe has something to do with that. Mm-hmm. Whereas your stepmom, it seems like she was the liaison into the world of restaurants and fine mm-hmm. dining. So those two forces, and again, I don't want to overanalyze, but mm-hmm. it seems like they shaped you in some way. Yeah, they did. Definitely. And I think maybe equally, I think maybe it was like a transfer of, of, uh, of energy in a way, like mm-hmm. beginning and then, you know, what it moved towards. And then now, because yeah. I, it's not like I ate, it's just, we just didn't try stuff. Like, even though we went to the Japanese market and had, like, uh, with my mom, even though we went to that market and had, like, curry mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, with fried pork, um, we didn't ever eat sushi or raw fish ever. In fact, we hardly ever ate fish. I don't, I was taught to dislike fish. Mm-hmm. You were taught to dislike fish? Yeah, like, don't eat raw fish. Don't eat fish. Fish is gross. Why? 
I don't know. We just didn't eat it. They didn't like it. They didn't want it. It Has wasn't a thing. With you? Is that still true? Except for like canned tuna. They would eat canned tuna. So, but today, like, do you still dislike fish? And- no, I love it now, but I really didn't even start eating it mm-hmm. until like 2005. Wow. Yeah. And did that feel liberating to like strike out on your own and eat the food that you were told not to eat growing up? I mean, so here's the thing. My dad loves seafood. Oh, interesting. And so did, so did Verna. So it was kind of like, you don't eat that. Maybe it was too fancy or maybe it was too expensive or whatever it is, but mm-hmm. you, we don't we don't eat that. Um, and then, like, I just became resistant and kind of bullheaded towards it. Mm-hmm. And so I never really wanted to try it. And then when I became an adult, I was kind of just like, I guess I'll try it. And when... But I guess, because to me, it's so fascinating, like, sort of the, the differentiation that can happen between, like, the food you grow up with. Like, my mom, it's so funny. I mean, she thinks I'm insane. Like, she'll see some of the things that I eat. Mm-hmm. Like, I had a stomach bug last year, and I went out with Craig to sushi in Pasadena, similar to what you were just describing. Mm-hmm. And she saw, like, I had, you know, this, like, this platter of sushi that had, like, mm-hmm. octopus on it. And she's like, how can you eat that? How can you, you know? And to me, it's like, that's, mm-hmm. to me, it felt totally normal and fine mm-hmm. to eat sushi, you yeah. know? And- I ate raw horse meat in Japan. Wow. And my mom and my sister were like, what, what, how, what do you, how dare you, you know? There is, a, there, I, I think there is something very liberating in terms of like separating from your parents in terms of like putting food into your body that they mm-hmm. wouldn't approve of. Because mm-hmm. if you think about the role of a parent at the beginning, it's like they literally feed, they put the food into your body at mm-hmm. the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, you come to this moment in your life where like, no, I'm going to be in charge of what I put into my body. And yeah, I mean, I, what's funny when you talk about it like that, uh, I love tofu mm-hmm. and I was a vegetarian for a long time. Mm-hmm. My dad's second wife tried to get me to eat tofu mm-hmm. when I was like 12 and 13. And I was like, you bitch, how dare you <laughs> get like, get this crap away from me. Wow, so- we don't eat that. Like how, like and right. it was the other, it was like, oh God, like no way. It's disgusting. And yeah. then I went to college and I, you know, just walked down the street and bought tofu because that's what you were supposed to buy. And I was like, I eat tofu now. That's fascinating. You know, and I, I didn't have an oyster until my 30th birthday. That's funny. Yeah. And my mom, if I get oysters, she's like, don't do that. Like, please don't do that. That's so strange. Yeah. Because it's like, to her, it's like I'm putting poison I mean, my, my mom would never eat a raw oyster right. ever. I mean, I don't even like oysters that much. They're fine, but... Okay, but back to you. Okay. Um, France. So you went to France. I did, yeah. And tell me about France. I went to France uh, with my college roommate and, well, actually two of my college roommates. And it was my first time traveling outside of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have very much money, but it was fine. We stayed in a hostel. And as soon as I got there, I was just kind of like, oh, my God, this place is awesome. I love all of this food. I'm an adult now. I'm going to eat whatever I want. I was still pretending to be a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Pretending to be a vegetarian? Yeah. I, I was I was a pretend vegetarian in, in college. It was very cool to be a vegetarian in the early, ni- early 90s, late 90s. So how does one pretend to be a vegetarian? Like you're a vegetarian at school and around your friends, but then you go home to your family house and eat chicken because your grandma made it for you. Now, were you, so, okay, if I'm understanding this correctly, though, you said it was very cool to be a vegetarian. So were you pretending to be a vegetarian to be cool? I don't know. I think it was just like a thing that people did. (laughs) 
Especially in San Francisco. It was like, oh, we eat vegetarian Indian food and vegetarian Thai food. But were you a vocal um, fake vegetarian? Like, were you, like, telling people, like, wow, eating meat is wrong and then secretly going home and eating meat? No. I was never, I wasn't, like, a militant vegan or vegetarian ever, no. Okay. I was kind of always, like... It's fine. I'll probably eat it again someday. So you're in France and you're in eating France, everything. Eat everything. Yeah. I ate a really good chicken. Um, ate a croque monsieur. It was probably like the crappiest croque monsieur ever made because it was the cheapest one. Ate crepes. Um, ate all kinds of cheeses. I did like cheese, even like uh, non-cheddar cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, when I was like, I think it was like 12 Mm-hmm. I asked my mom to buy me marinated feta because I had seen it on uh, Julia Child or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, can you please buy me this? And she was like, it's $8. You can't <laughs> afford that. And I'm like, please, 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 please. Yeah. Um, so I always kind of wanted to try stuff like that. So, you know, I just kind of got, I really, it was like a crash course. And I loved it. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. And then I wanted to learn how to really cook. Mm-hmm. So what did you do? I came home and I got an Indian cookbook and started to try and teach myself how to make Indian food. So when you were in France, you were just there as a tourist, so you weren't mm-hmm. there cooking or learning how to cook or going to pastry school. Was there I was any... there for like seven days. Oh, seven days. Okay. Yeah. But did you ever go to culinary school? No. So what was your first food job? I got a job in a bakery and, and just like did enough home practice that I could like lie my way into a job. And then they like trained me for real. They retrained me. I think they knew that I was fully, like I was full of shit. Everybody's full of shit. Wait, why were you full of shit though? Cause I'd never had like a real job. How old like were you? That. I had had jobs before many jobs. I worked in a pizzeria as a hostess. I was a, you know, an assistant for a photo studio, worked in a photo store, um, worked at Jamba Juice when it was Juice World. <laughs> um, you know, I'd had like actual jobs, mm-hmm. but I had never had like a food job where I was making food. But I really wanted that. And where was this? In San Diego. And um, can you say the name of the bakery? Or... <laughs> <laughs> um, it's called Influx Cafe. Influx Cafe. And how yeah. old were you? Uh, by that time, it was like 2003. So. I was 23 or 24. So you're 23, 24. This is the young Nicole Rucker at her mm-hmm. first bakery. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, like, we haven't really gotten into this yet because I'm fascinated by this question or the subject about, like, being an introvert versus being an extrovert mm-hmm. and being a cook. Because mm-hmm. for me, like, I'm a, I'm an extroverted introvert. Mm-hmm. So I like to be in the kitchen at dinner parties and get to hide in there. And then I'll come out for a little bit and see everybody and then go back mm-hmm. in. But I don't know how you define yourself. If You seem like you're also a mixture maybe of introverted and extroverted. I, I think I'm probably more introverted than extroverted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel most of the time, especially... I'm very protective of uh, when people want things from me. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, super stingy. You are? Yeah. Oh, that's not been my experience. You seem very generous. But I ha- it's only with people that, like, I do, like, an assessment of uh, people. Okay. I must have passed the assessment. Yes. I'm like, you know, I don't, it, I just, I don't know. Something, I just feel very protective. It's probably a lot to do with, like, the way that I grew up. But I just really didn't, I don't want... Mm, I don't know. What do you mean by that, the way that you grew up? Well, it's, you know, you, like your parents are divorced and, you know, we moved a lot and I didn't make, I didn't 
make like a lot of friends Mm -hmm. when I was a child. And so I didn't really give my energy to people. It's interesting too, because you, that ties a little bit to me. So you say your parents were concerned about with your career that Mm -hmm. like you were, they were worried about the follow through things Mm -hmm. that like you didn't want to give. Skipping around, yeah. Yeah. Because you didn't want to give their energy. No. Well, that was because I was an entitled little bitch. And I was (laughs) like, you know, like when you're young and you're just like, you hate your boss and you yeah. hate your job and you don't see value in anything yeah. and you think you know more than you do. Sure. Everybody goes through that phase. I mean, I, and by the way, like I, I'm still the same way, you know, it's like, I'm starting a podcast. Well, no, it's like, Craig is like, you're going to do this podcast. You better follow through and, you know, do more than three episodes, you know? So yeah. I, I, I mean, like, is that, is not the job of your husband to do that at this point? Yeah. That's what Blaine does with me. Every yeah. time I buy a new piece of athletic equipment, <laughs> he's like, you're going to use that. Or he's like, gonna... how long have you, how long has it been since you rode your Peloton bike? I hate it when husbands do that. Let's fuck you. I'll yeah, ride it when I want to. Exactly. Okay, wait. So you started this job in San Diego at Influx Bakery. Influx Cafe. Uh, but I was asking about introvert versus extrovert oh. because I wanted to know, like, going into a restaurant culture, coming from, like, cooking at home mm-hmm. with your cookbooks, mm-hmm. suddenly now you're in the kitchen of a restaurant. What mm-hmm. was that like? Well, I think that there's, like, a step that is skipped because I was in a band. <laughs> so I was a performer. What, so what I instrument think I did just, you play? I played the guitar and okay. I was the singer. But so I think that and I was in, you know, uh, theater a little bit when I was a kid. So I think that maybe. Oh, I and then I also I did like audio, like a voiceovers when I was like 16. I've You're had so many voice. lives. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so I knew how to like perform for people, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of divorced children know how to do. Okay. Um, especially middle children. Like I know how to perform for yeah. people. You're doing great on this podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that that helped because I decided I wanted to be a baker and I was like, I'm going to get into this role and like be this person. Mm-hmm. And I was, and I did it and I got the job and I'm sure they knew that every ounce of my experience was bullshit, but here's something that I know now that I didn't know then it's really hard to hire people. And the most important component of hiring anyone is that they have a genuine interest and responsibility to being there. That's really the most crucial thing. You can literally train almost anyone to do anything if they have a hunger and a desire to be there. And so I'm sure that Gina and Jason were like, well, she really wants to be here and she's interested and her resume is probably 99% bullshit. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like I had a friend of mine act as my uh, say that he like I helped him bake for a farmer's market that it was like total fake. <laughs> Are you really coming clean on this podcast? I've said it before. You're it's un- okay. unburdening yourself. Um, it's okay. This is it's the first there. time you've ever said it. Let's be honest. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's all okay. happening here. Um, but I'm also curious though, but like, we are hearing so much nowadays about restaurant kitchens and horrible behavior mm-hmm. and, and I'm not necessarily to open that can of worms, but mm-hmm. had you over the course of your career, had, I mean, I'm sure you've encountered some tricky people or Mm. difficult situations. You know, what's weird is that I'm sure that I have, but I also have a really selective memory and I have burned most truly negative experiences from my brain. Is that a survival skill? It is. But also my actual therapist says you hold on to the stuff you need to, and it's not holding me back. I am your actual therapist. I don't know if you know that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not holding me back from accomplishing anything or mm-hmm. like having relationships or feeling loved or, you know, being successful. So the stuff that I forgot about 
is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember, but like, so like, no, I've never been sexually harassed in a kitchen mm-hmm. um, or really had any kind of inappropriate like grabbing or anything that I can recall. But also I had a shaved head. <laughs> really? And, yeah. Okay. Twice in my life. I can't even imagine that. Well, I was very artistic and punk and I've always had resting bitch face and for the most of my life was an entitled bitchy teenager. That's funny. The way you're describing yourself, it's like, I don't like, I think of you as so approachable Thank and you. so like warm and well, you know, yeah. I don't think anyone would have even dared to grab my ass because right. I probably would have kicked the shit out of them. No, I'm, I, I think that I scared most people away from that. I'm fascinated. This to me is very interesting. And by the way, I'm enjoying doing this podcast because this is like okay. my favorite thing is to like psychoanalyze people. It's like back porch psychology. Right. But okay, your disposition was repellent. Like it was yeah. like pushing people away. But Baking is all about like luring people in. I mean, the image of like a yeah. pie on a windowsill with like the smoke coming out. It's like, yeah. it's like, why, how do you reconcile those two instincts within yourself to push people away and to draw people in? Matt, it's very confusing. I don't really have an answer for that. I but, don't know. But would, are those still very much alive in you? Those two instincts? Yeah, they are mm-hmm. for sure. I think if you talk to some of my like best friends, um. I do still have like a repellent streak in me where I'm kind of just like, no, get away from me. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I enjoy making things for people and having them enjoy it. Well, I, I think what's interesting about your baking is that there's like always like one step removed. Like, I, I mean, at Fiona, that wasn't true. But otherwise, it's like when I had your baked goods, it's like you weren't necessarily there when I had them. Like I would have them at Dinosaur Coffee or I'd have, mm-hmm. you know. So it's sort of like, yes, you, there is the gesture of making mm-hmm. something, but then there's also a little bit of like, you know, yeah, I'm not the one handing it to you. Or I think there's also something really uh, that I definitely struggle with is that people think that they know you from these things. Yeah, totally. And um, I, I dislike that immensely. I think that's like the repelling streak in me is that mm-hmm. I don't like people to think that they've like added me up, you know? But now they've listened to this podcast and yeah. they know everything about you. Then they know not to come to me. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually almost like Over? at the end of 50 minutes. We're not there yet. Great. Because um, we have like eight minutes left. Okay. And I know a therapist isn't supposed to like point out that there's only eight minutes left it's in okay. the session. You need to wrap it up. But I know, but there's so much, so much. I mean, do you feel good about like some of the stuff we've covered? I feel like we covered a yeah. lot of ground. But I want to bring it all back to your lunch. So your lunch was pancakes and avocado toast. Yes. So, you know, in terms of why you ordered that, was it, is there anything now like having heard so much about your psychology, is there anything that we haven't tapped into? Or when you think about your own lunch, is there anything that comes to mind? No, I don't think that I ordered, I had to eat them. Why? Because I had to try them and get Those my approval. Those specific things? Yeah. Okay. And I was eating with someone who doesn't eat pork, so there was, like, some things that I couldn't order. Wait, but... I need to understand something, though. This, this is very important. You said at the very beginning, you said, I felt pressure to get lunch. Oh, I felt pressure to get the sandwich. The sandwich? Yeah. So the pancakes and the avocado toast weren't even the lunch. I mean, it was, like... 
This is lunch therapy. This isn't breakfast therapy. Well, it That's was a like they podcast. all blended into one because I wasn't, I like did, did that know? and then I came directly over here. I think we're going to have to start this podcast over oh my again God. and focus I on I got the sandwich because I felt like I needed to have something separate from that food. Were you hungry to talk for a sandwich? About. Not at all. And also... Did you eat it? Yeah, I ate the whole thing. Just because you felt the pressure to well, have it was had a good. lunch? I was definitely not hungry. I ate it anyways. Um, well, let's talk more about that pressure, though. Because what if you'd come in here and said, hey, I had a big breakfast? What would that have meant to you? I would. It would have meant that I was letting you down because you specifically <laughs> told me to eat lunch. Interesting. I'm also, like, for as much as a punk brat as I was, I'm a huge rule follower. Yes, that's what I'm tapping into Major here. rule follower, and I want to give you... You know, because I care about you. Also, I want to give you what you asked for. So I ate lunch because... I'm just a projection screen. You're projecting onto me all other kinds of characteristics. I just really... It's like I just got to do the Grub Street diet. I did. I don't believe me. Yeah, you liked it. I loved it. It was amazing. Well, you know, I really wanted to... I really wanted to do a good job for people. Can I ask you a question, though, about being a rule follower and being a baker? Mm -hmm. Is that... The link, I mean, is that because people talk about baking being so different than savory cooking Mm -hmm. because there's a precise amount and you use a certain amount of flour and a certain amount of sugar and you get these results. Is that the appeal to you of baking? Yeah, there is a defined set of rules that you should follow Mm -hmm. to achieve certain outcomes, but there's an enormous amount of freedom within the boundaries of those rules. Mm -hmm. So I like rules like that. And that I'm, I'm like trying to think about it like in terms of being punk, but also being, you know, it's like. It's, no, it's like, and that's like the opposite. No, like, no, but I'm saying like you, like, it's sort of like in each of these stories, it's sort of like testing the world. It's like going back to where there's structure. It's like, you know, there's mm-hmm. always like a structured world around you. Like with the eating of the oysters or the eating of the seafood, it's mm-hmm. sort of like stepping away from the safety of like your mother's care, but then always coming back. Yeah. Is that psychologically astute or no? I don't know. I don't want to end on a bad note. You're not ending on a bad note. <laughs> okay. I think, I think like the ultimate thing is that I just really want, uh, well, you know, the other thing, the reason that I went to proof is because I also very strongly believe in if I'm on this side of town to go to the restaurant that's owned by someone that I know. Oh, you know, the owner of proof. Yes. Uh, I go there all the time and, I, yeah. and I've never met the owner of proof. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. It's a great bakery, by the way. In yeah, my it's a wonderful bakery. Yeah. Um, and I, I like to support the businesses of people that I know because I know how hard it is to own a business and own a bakery right now in the middle of summer, especially. It's so hard. A very difficult time. So I very happily will give them my $12 on a summer's day and eat a sandwich that was probably going to get thrown away because it's 3 o'clock or 2 o'clock and right. no one's going to order it. So to bring things full circle, though, um, in terms of your lunch today and your breakfast mm-hmm. and moving forward, I mean, so the, it seems to me the more um, poignant or the more important meal that you had today, unfortunately, for our podcast was your breakfast. We can call it brunch. Let's just call that brunch. Let's pretend the sandwich didn't happen. I think oh. the sandwich is throwing off everything. Oh, my God. Now I feel, now I feel like I'm shaming you. It was you. a fake brunch. It was a fake lunch. You're right. It was. It's fine. You were a fake vegetarian, and then you just ate, ate a, fake a fake lunch. I ate a fraudulent lunch. Now, that's interesting. How's that for psychological still, astuteness? Still a performer. Oh, wow. Okay. This is good. I like ending on this note. <laughs> but how are you feeling going forward? Are you feeling good, positive? You have your cookbook. You have... Yeah, I feel great. I'm excited to go 
to more cities and sign books for people and tell them all about my embarrassing mistakes and just continue to be Oh my god, so you're focused on the mistakes too. It's a gorgeous book. By the way, we should say the name of the book is Dappled. Yes, Baking Recipes for Fruit Lovers. And um and you're not just a fruit lover, you're a nut lover because you noticed a tree in my backyard. I don't love walnuts. I think it's a uh, walnut tree and I can't eat walnuts, but I do love all growing fruit in, you know, contained spaces like your backyard. Oh yeah, contained spaces. See, this is I know all, I love rules. I, I love know. containment. I love rules. I love boundaries. Wow. Yeah. Well, okay, I'm just going to look at the time, but yeah, we're basically at the end. And so I have one question for you that, that I feel like every podcast that I do, and by the way, you were my first guest Yay. and you did fabulously. Thank I feel you. like you made me feel good about this concept. It's because, a great concept. Yeah, I like it. Because it's just like, what did you have for lunch or in yeah. this case, breakfast or brunch? Unless and you screw it up like I did. No, you didn't screw it up, but it's like, hopefully it's a launching pad into a whole world of psychological insight. But yeah. I want to end every podcast with the most important question I can think of after what did you have for lunch, which is what are you going to have for dinner tonight? Tonight I'm going to dinner with my friend Nicole with an H who I was in a band with in high school. And so we're going to go, we see each other every couple of years. She's probably my oldest friend. And And where are you going to go? I don't know yet. I might try and take her to Sonora town. I've heard that's really good. You've never been? No. Oh my God. It's so good. I hear like somebody just wrote about it and now it's impossible to get in there. Well, there's always a line. Okay. So I don't know. Maybe I'll go there. If not there, then I'll go to Amasita in Culver City. Oh, I heard that's really good. Oh, it's so great. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're now, when you are going to dinner with your friend, Mm -hmm. and we still have a little time, so don't, you know, I feel like I was wrapping it up. It's okay. Um, We have 52 seconds, but that doesn't have to be this formal. I'm just going to hit cancel on the timer. Um, When you go to dinner with a friend, do you tend to take charge about where you go? Um, yes, most people ask me to do that, yeah. but, uh, this person has dietary restrictions. So I have to play within that. This person doesn't eat seafood. Oh, interesting. She also doesn't eat gluten. Um, yeah. So most people do, but you know, what's funny is that most people look to my husband for that instead of me. Cause they'll, they know, here's the thing. I always go to the same places, mm-hmm. the same handful of places. And most often than not, it's because it's someone that I know that owns it. And so I go there to support my friends. That's great. Yeah. So it, Blaine will go anywhere. My husband will go anywhere, but I'm always like, no, we should go to Grace's restaurant wound because I really care about them and they're new and they need someone to be there weekly, you know, and we should go to Joseph's restaurant, Amasita, because it just opened and I care about him or I should go to Proof because I'm on that side of town and I don't live in that neighborhood yeah. and I'm happy to give him my And money. this is the side of you that's like nurturing and taking care of other people, which is like the pie making and the like. I guess I am a secret nurturer, but I probably wouldn't advertise myself. Yeah. As that. No, I mean, as we've learned today, there's two warring instincts within you. I don't want people to know about it. Yeah. Because then people want stuff from you. Gross. I know. Well, good thing this isn't on a podcast for millions of people to listen to or <laughs> 30. But thank you so much, Nicole, for being my first Thank guest. you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was All so right. fun. I'm going to hit stop. <laughs>